Platformification is a plug-and-play business model that allows multiple participants to connect to it, interact with each other, and exchange value. That's not me. That was Ron Shevlin, Managing Director of Fintech Research. Fintechs have been quick to grab this platformification and have used this as a core technology to disrupt bankers and impress customers. InsureTech firms are not far behind, though. So are traditional insurers who may have seen the, what ignoring the elephant in the room can do to an industry. With us today is John Briscoe, CEO of Coherent, to talk about the platformification of digital insurance, what a CIO needs to do about it. And John, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan. Pleasure to be here. A year on after COVID-19 entered our lives, what has changed within Asia's insurance industry? Have you seen more traditional insurers modernize their onboarding and claims management systems? Are these modernization projects in partnership with insure tech companies or are they kept in-house? So really big questions there, Alan. So let me try to kind of answer them one by one. I think if I start at number one, which is around the impact of COVID, what it's had on the insurance industry, I think it's actually acted as a really positive catalyst in terms of how insurers are trying to fast forward their movement towards becoming more digital ready as well as digitally designed. I think it's well known that many insurers, although having fantastic brands and fantastic reputations uh, across Asia and beyond, The simple reality is that many of their technology systems have become fairly outdated. And unfortunately, what COVID has exposed is is a real kind of lack of flexibility to be able to adapt to new business requirements, business needs, as well as customer preferences. So insurers have recognised that. And what they're doing is they're starting to rethink how data flows within an organisation, as well as the different sort of platforms needed to be successful in in the future. So from my outside in looking view, undoubtedly this has acted as is actually a catalyst for transformation and we're seeing many insurers look to actually take advantage of of that catalyst which has now been burned on, on the second part of the question, specifically what, what obviously they're looking to do, I think that in reality, we kind of dissect it into three different elements. One is on the distribution sense, it's imperative that customers have a really seamless distribution and customer experience with the customers that they're seeking to obviously buy insurance and want to buy insurance from them. So what that means is they're looking for their distributors, whether that's agents or brokers or bank relationships that they have, and making that uh, much more interactive and much more digital than the paper-based sales which may have existed previously. So I think that's something which is obviously an area which nearly every insurer is looking to. And on top of that, given that people aren't as receptive to people knocking on their door maybe to sell insurance as they may have been in the past, how do you enable virtual sales, i.e. video sales to happen as well? So many insurers are starting to to look to offer that capability where you can have virtual face-to-face capability sales, uh, which uh, obviously two years ago or one year ago would have been completely unheard of in the insurance industry. On the second side, what we're seeing is a number of insurers wanting to be more faster to market uh, in regards to products, uh, as well as new propositions. So COVID has obviously made people more aware of the needs for insurance and the need for why insurance can be valuable in their lives. But many insurers are actually typically quite slow in responding to those kind of changing dynamics. 
So what we're seeing from various insurers is really a desire to have technology and platforms which can enable them to develop products and, and new propositions much quicker than they could before. So you're seeing many insurers invest specifically in that area. And then the third area, which is uh, one of the points you mentioned at the front about what's the biggest elephant that really can exist in an insurer is their policy administration systems or what's their core systems. Uh, every industry has core systems. Banking's got core banking systems. And insurance, it's called policy admin systems. And unfortunately, many of these systems are COBOL-based, 30 years plus, very sort of complex, and over time have just became more and more complex. And I think many insurers are realising that uh, in order to take advantage of the pace of technology and the pace of digitization, you need to unwield away from those legacy complex solutions. So they're either looking for, for new policy ad, ad administration capability or they're thinking differently of, of how can you externalize complexity away from the back end to new platforms and I think that's a, a major sort of trend which we're, we're seeing so everything related to distribution technology customer technology as well as back-end technology is quite hot in the insurance space at the moment. What about the last one? Are these being done in-house or being outsourced or partnered with yeah. through companies like InsurTechs? Yeah, I, I, like obviously, speaking from our personal experience, we're seeing a massive growth in the demand for our types of solutions, which can come in and complement some solutions which the internal teams are building on themselves. So I think the realization in this kind of COVID or post-COVID world is that speed is important and therefore working with partners who have product and platform which is ready and can be ingested into your internal ecosystem of solutions is something which is acting as obviously an accelerator towards the overall digital transformation. So we're, we We've seen a huge sort of spike of the desire to work with insurtechs or, or other technology partners to kind of drive the, the new sort of digital paradigm which insurers are trying to do. Don't get me wrong, insurer IT teams are still going to build certain solutions and every company is going to differ as to what they build versus what they partner on. But the reality is, I think people are much more embracing the, the kind of more maturity of, of how insure tech companies are obviously bringing platforms which can be consumed much quicker than previously could be. At least observing from the history with of fintechs with the banking industry, are there any concerns with regards to partnering with an insure tech, at least for the insurers? And are these concerns valid? And uh, the last one of that, how do you mitigate against such risks? So I think you have to realize there's different types of insure techs. You have insure techs who are essentially insurance companies who essentially compete against insurers on trying to kind of acquire customers or trying to kind of disrupt a, a different part of the, the value chain that they operate. Then you have companies who more play in, in the kind of the middle space of uh, kind of trying to create a niche between the traditional insurer and the distribution element. I want to be the connector between, say, the brokerages or the agents to the insurer and builds capabilities in that space which can be complementary both ways. And then you have the other form of insurers which is the more B2B enterprise players like ourselves who are offering new sort of platform solutions using our experience or experience of how insurance operates but bringing new technology services and capabilities which we uh, are designed in a way which we know will operate and work within an insurer's environment. So I think the, the reality is the term insure tech can sometimes be quite confusing because there's so many different forms and variations of, of what an insure tech is. But what we're 
seeing for more the B2B kind of enterprise solution side, which is obviously a part which we, we play heavily in, we're seeing that that basically insurers are, are very willing to partner and collaborate as long as that company has the relevant enterprise capability and, and standards in its solutions. If you could indulge me, can you cite one or two best practices for engaging with an insure tech? Yeah, I think, I think that's a really great question. Like, I think the, the reality is when you're engaging with any sort of new organization or a company who maybe hasn't been around for a long period of time, there's obviously the most important factor in any relationship is, is trust. And yeah. thus, uh, and trust is important in terms of defining what's the value the insure tech can provide and what's the kind of the protection as well as uh, scope, which the insurer is asking the insure tech to basically be looking to solve because if there's not that kind of clear clarity in each side you're not going to get trust and therefore what you're going to get is essentially kind of not support within a big organization of how an insure tech business can be successful for that particular insurer so finding opportunities which can be win-win absolutely critical to success and then the second component is uh, the realization that sometimes when an insure tech comes in they, they are they're obviously going to be outlining things which they believe are obviously much more the kind of the modern way of how certain solutions should be kind of constructed or or how they should be kind of considered from a data perspective or from a connectivity perspective, which may differ from traditional way of thinking within the within the organization. So in reality, what you're asking for is people to have an embracing and open mind in regards to feedback coming in regards to what the insure tech's mindset is. Not necessarily saying you have to do it, but realizing they're coming from a point of view of of obviously being outside of of the day-to-day kind of business as usual which the insurer has to operate so i think if there's that willingness to collaborate and then there's that willingness to kind of listen and, and understand of why certain solutions and sure techs have been designed in a certain way then i think you can get that win-win harmony we've seen governments and regulators varying degrees of course endorsing open api and open data now do you see the use of apis as mature another word is secure enough, to facilitate integration of two or legacy systems and databases with third-party platforms and applications? I think insurance is like any industry. It's got different privacy, security, as well as regulatory kind of considerations it has to deal with. However, if you see the kind of the movement towards open banking APIs globally, it's giving the signal that it's eventually going to kind of obviously permutate towards insurance as well. Because if it can work in the banking sector, then there's no reason why it can't work in the insurance sector. The key though is, and I still kind of believe this, is what actually APIs add value to the ecosystem and therefore to the insurers. Because ultimately, the the insurer's core business is relying on data and insights, which enables it to price risk, as well as ensure that it's, it's providing a, a kind of appropriate claims to its customers. So therefore, the data that they're ingesting or the connections that they're ingesting needs to be able to be a, providing quality kind of information or quality sort of ecosystem data for them to find it actually valuable. So I think you'll find many insurers will be open to kind of an open API ecosystem. They're going to want to make sure that what they're connecting to is actually kind of providing kind of robustness to the proposition that they've got because insurers can't afford to get a number of their risk calculations wrong, their claims calculations wrong, as well as even thinking about how they service customers. It's just too big of a gamble for them to do that. So they'll go on about it in stages. What is your advice for incumbent insurers looking to at the potential to partner with an insure tech? More importantly, what questions should they ask insure tech startups? 
I've been quite fortunate that I've been on both sides of the equation. I was a senior executive within an insurer as well as now obviously leading my own insurance technology business. I think the the kind of lessons learned from both sides. One is when you're in a CIO position, you're responsible for dictating and determining the technology strategy and roadmap for your organization. And as part of that process, you have to kind of define what you believe your organization, i.e. your IT teams, or whether it's kind of service centers that you may have in, in different locations. What do you feel you have the skills and capabilities to develop yourself versus what is technology components or solutions or platforms which you believe is needed in your architecture but you believe you need to go to different essentially externally to kind of get those solutions that's really important to figure out because ultimately if you haven't figured that out and then you're trying to figure out how an insure tech fits in sometimes it can be a kind of trying to find a problem versus actually being core to this to the vision as to what you're trying to achieve so once you've got that strategy as well as the clarity as to what's going to be in-house versus maybe uh, kind of external then it's ultimately trying to make sure that partner that you're looking to bring in has the necessary knowledge capabilities as well as own route roadmap about how they can provide a solution which can enable you to be better as an organization and whether that's an established tech player or whether it's an assured tech player the process should should drive that kind of decision making uh, making right because if the insure tech is confident enough in the product and platform that it's got it should be able to stand as just to give the chances as a more established or, or traditional technology player and then it's up to the organization to make its decision process based on who they believe is going to be the right partner for them and generally i think what you're finding is obviously a number of insure techs are, are coming in and probably do have more advanced technology capabilities have really deeply around the problems which the insurer is trying to solve and thus have a really strong value proposition which resonates and then comes the question of obviously like any organization an insurer is going to kind of make sure is this company viable is it going to kind of be around in three to six months or longer is it someone i can trust long term and then that's on a that'll be in a, a different business by business review right in regards to the belief of the organization but if it if they kind of can distill the two parts then i think uh, you can get a process which can work you speak to multiple insurance companies. Does the question ever come that I'm willing to engage you, coherent, but at the same time, you're probably talking to my competitor. How do I make sure that whatever solution we built or you integrate with us doesn't get, the IP doesn't get transferred over to the other side or you don't learn sufficiently enough from it so that whatever new partners you bring in or clients or customers you bring in, that they don't benefit from the IP that you learned working with me as an incumbent insurer trying to serve, say, a, no, a, a particular industry? It's a great question. I'd counter-argue that then, but the consulting industry is exactly the same and it ha- doesn't seem to have a, a problem for the likes of McKinsey or the EYs across 100 years, right? So I think the reality is if you think about there's different types of software organisations. Like we are very much more that we come with core product and what we're trying to do is help insurers leverage our core platforms and, and solutions in order to build unique experiences for themselves. Some instances, they may just take our tech and then develop their own front-end capability on top of that. In many ways, they, they sometimes ask us to get involved in kind of constructing solutions. But like anything, obviously, we've got to make sure that we represent the kind of the confidentiality as well as the kind of the trust of the relationship as, as good as possible. Uh, but I think you also have the factor of many insurers are probably asking the opposite question first 
going. I like the fact that you've actually kind of deployed as well as helping a number of other insurers because I'm going to get the benefit of your experience of helping other organizations be successful. Because you have to remember, insurance is still a a fairly, it's a kind of, I'm not saying it's a risk adverse industry. It's just, it's not a natural risk taking industry. And thus it likes the kind of comfort that something has actually been successful elsewhere. And then it's up to the insurer to, to improve on that ongoing. And we tend to have more of that sort of discussion versus I'm worried that you're, you're going to be working with multiple kind of competitors of mine. You mentioned your former CIO, and I believe it's with two insurance companies, including QBE. From your experience, what preoccupies the CIO of an insurer in Asia before COVID and during COVID? Jeez, uh, looking back on my career, I think pre-COVID, many times in Asia, because of the sheer sort of, if you look whether it's insurance or banking, uh, Asia is such a growth engine. So the reality being, if you were a regional CIO, the, the sheer scale of new initiatives, which we, you'd be overseeing, as well as new deals or new sort of partnerships, which your organization would be getting into, that was a much heavier focus in a in market like Asia compared to somewhere like a, an Australia or, or North America, where probably it was much more of a business as usual type kind of management of your kind of IT kind of shop. I think post-COVID, speaking to the CIOs, I know they've had to kind of learn on the fly around how do you build a number of virtual engagement capabilities in your organization? How do you kind of connect uh, thousands of workforce members from basically out of the office uh, in record time? How do you empower uh, distribution forces to be able to kind of sell virtually? How do you enable your systems to be able to be uh, accessed from external sites? <laughs> Huge kind of tactical firefighting sort of, of uh, kind of challenges. But I think many CIOs are probably a lot better for it. Ultimately, that's helped drive a probably a kind of quicker path towards digitization. With sales and marketing at the forefront of customer engagements, how do you rein in the potential of shadow IT to grow outside of the CIO's oversight? Well, interestingly, I think the term shadow IT, I think, is going to move away. Mm. Instead, I think what you're going to start hearing is a much more push and trend towards the concept of no code and or low code uh, and therefore being a that technology is just not one function technology can be at the fingertips of any business user within an organization whether that's sales or marketing business analysis product technology becomes ubiquitous within a, a big organization what the technology function is is obviously making sure that the right sort of technology solutions and architecture and controls and security, et cetera, is done properly, as well as big programs are done properly. But there's nothing, I think, to stop because of, of no-code capability, like some of the solutions that we have, which enables business users to be much more connect to, essentially, the IT teams than they were previously. And I think given that so many staff are going to still be working away from offices over the next year or two, companies are going to be embracing no-code capabilities, like some of the solutions we have, like Product Factory, etc., in order to, to kind of enable that much more speed to market, as well as shared sort of responsibility and outcomes. Because you can't do business requirement documents if people aren't sitting beside each other or uh, the traditional way of how you would do things goes out the window. So no code, I think, is going to be something which kind of destroys shadow IT, if you ask myself. 
I actually thought I'd be, if I'm the CIO, I'd be more scared with the, if every uh, business unit starts developing their own co- their own application, uh, it'll drive the hell out of me trying to well, manage well, them, making sure that things are secure, we're not, we remain compliant and all that, especially with, at least in Hong Kong with that, with the new well, regulator well, trying to well, rein in things. I think that's the misconception of no code. Well, no code mm. is still a platform, which the technology function will still choose. What well, basically, and in the instance of no code is all the, the complexity around the administration, the security, the governance of the platform is still done by IT. But actually, requirements move from being kind of defined, drafted by the business to basically being essentially modeled by the business on a no-code platform. Why that's really appealing for the business user, you feel in control of the experience you're trying to create versus where the problem of shadow IT, why it emerged was that people were feeling that what they were trying to do wasn't getting translated as that well by the IT function. So what no code is doing is, is taking away that translation factor, whether that's for product creation, whether it's for new business front ends, whether it's for sales and marketing campaigns, that's the power of what kind of a no code capability could do. The democratization of IT or front end applications anyway. Mm-hmm. How does a CIO mitigate the risk of integrating core applications uh, to a third party platform such as yours? Yeah, so I think the reality being that if you think we're an enterprise B2B player, so so very rarely I think uh, you will see a financial institution really connect any of their crown jewels to a complete third-party SaaS solution, right? Uh, which is enterprise uh, kind of critical. So, so what we obviously provide is more of a essentially a SaaS instance or a license instance, which gets incorporated within the environment of the insurer, whether that's an insurer's cloud environment or with in a hybrid cloud environment so that therefore the, the protection is the security the administration the authentication is all still controlled by the organization or the insurer or the bank etc what they're getting access to is our platform ip uh, and then even in that environment anytime we do new releases we can roll that through so we think that's much more the modern way not this kind of our platform exists in a completely different world and you somehow have to connect to it i think enterprise b2b is slightly different to kind of like normal SaaS. Uh, which you might see in, in direct-to-consumer or B2C. I think enterprise B2B, uh, like a, it's, a, it's a bit more kind of rigid than, than traditional SaaS. What is your preoccupation as CEO and founder of Coherent? I think the reality is that Coherent is now a global business and every day is bringing up exciting new changes as well as new sort of considerations which we have to evolve to. So what you recognize when you're running a global business is that the market in North America, although has some level of commonality, there are unique features compared to Asia as well as Japan. And thus, we as a business are quickly having to kind of rapidly adapt. It's essentially our story, our uh, solutions, our kind of help explanations to clients so that they are properly catered for the different markets that we operate. So that obviously takes a lot of time because you're helping your teams learn. You're making sure your tech teams are kind of connected across your, your different geographies. You're making sure that your clients are, are getting the right material and the right understanding of your organization. What I also find is I'm constantly kind of looking to kind of recruit and build my teams as well. It's a big part of my my role is to attract talent to make us better every single day. And that means I'm always constantly wanting to kind of bring in talent who can add tremendous value to an organization. So yeah, so the sun never sets, unfortunately, uh, coherent now. So, um, so basically, it's a, it's a 24-7 world, it's an exciting world, but the preoccupation is it's just basically ch- new challenge after challenge or new opportunity after opportunity, and that's what makes it tremendously exciting. 
Uh, last question, arguably for me, the, the most difficult question of all. In 30 seconds, what is coherent? Coherent basically is a new next generation of technology and data intelligence platforms, which helps insurers move away from complex legacy systems to future-ready now capabilities, which helps them really become digitally native. Uh, and I think that's we're proving that every single day with some of the biggest insurers in the world, and we're really excited by the future and what it brings to us. John, thank you for joining me on Podchats for Future CIO. Thank you. That was John Briscoe, CEO of Coherent, on the topic of the platformification of digital insurance and what the CIO needs to do about it. You are listening in to Podchats for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. As always, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.